Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back with a new episode with Margot McAuliffe, founder and CEO of Gabby Inc., a California-focused retail consolidator and the owner of Mankind Dispensary, one of the oldest licensed dispensaries in California. Margot has been the recipient of numerous business awards and recognition, including being named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women, a woman of the year by the Canadian Women in Communications, and an Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award finalist. In this episode, our hosts chat with Margot about her introduction to cannabis and the influence her sister has had on the formation of Gabby, how her company is able to differentiate itself in the highly competitive California marketplace, and how her past experiences in retail are helping shape her management and strategic focus for the expansion of the Gabby brand. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Margot McAuliffe of Gabby Inc. Margot McAuliffe is the founder and CEO um, of Gabby Inc., uh, which is uh, this amazing brand um, that we are so excited to talk about today. Um, first of all, Margot, I really wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about um, about yourself and how you got involved in cannabis. And then I really want to dig into, um, kind of how, you know, what prompted you to find, to found, uh, Gabby. And, um, you know, I think the story behind that is, is really wonderful and compelling. Um, so I think let's start with you and then we'll go to Gabby. Okay, great. Uh, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. So I started my professional career as a lawyer and I practiced with a large law firm in Vancouver, Canada. I, I then got recruited to join a large telecom company where I helped grow revenue from $200 million to $2 billion, and that was primarily by acquisition. And then I started my own merchant banking business called Oliver Capital Partners, and I used that as an investment vehicle for me to invest my money alongside my investors' money. Mm. And through that, we invested in uh, radio broadcasting, food service, food manufacturing, publishing, real estate, and I can't remember what else. It was quite varied. Um, and we had really good results and we returned really good, uh, robust uh, returns to investors. There were three notable investments and operations that um, are really relevant to what we're doing in cannabis today. Uh, one of them is called Vista Radio, where we consolidated 50 radio stations from disparate ownership groups. We grew um, EBITDA by 500% and then sold it to a private equity group. Uh, the other one was the Domino's Pizza brand. You might remember in 2007 when Domino's Pizza was really in the gutter that was not doing well financially. The product was really suffering. So we bought the Canadian franchise rights at that time and we grew the business 21% uh, year over year to over $215 million in chain-wide revenue in Canada. 
And then I sold a my lot of pizza. It's a lot of it, pizza. It is a lot of pizza. <laughs> and it, it was, it's a really good brand. It's really good business. Now it wasn't when we bought it, but now it's, it's flourishing. Their flatbreads uh, are no joke. And I come from like East coast pizza. So yes, I agree with you. Sorry. We took a turn, but go ahead, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I sold my interest in my business partner. He still calls me to tell me how, how well he's doing. So just rubs it in. <laughs> like, mm, thanks buddy. Um, Does he get you? free pizza at least well you know not so much (laughs) i think that should be a stipulation for calling to brag i would agree with you (laughs) so after i sold my interest um to my business partner i moved into the subway brand where that contract was in dispute and had been terminated by the franchisor so we bought it in its terminated state and we renegotiated the the, um re-entry into the subway system with the franchisor and since then, we've grown to $450 million in chain-wide revenue and with over 800 locations. So those were the three that are, I think are really relevant to what we're trying to do in that we're trying to consolidate retail uh, dispensaries in California. So you know, we understand consolidation, we understand uh, running businesses, and we understand uh, growing um, you know, under, under uh, challenging circumstances, if you will. <laughs> what a lovely way to put it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so bring us to, to the founding of Gabby. So uh, Gabby's named after my sister. She's my inspiration. And um, we were very close. She passed away from lung cancer a number of years ago. Uh, she was a, a trailblazer. She pushed boundaries, didn't accept the status quo. She came out in the early eighties when it wasn't cool to be gay uh, she blazed a trail for homelessness uh, advocacy in Toronto by bringing government charities and businesses together, which you would think is an, is obvious, but it just was not being done before she did it. Mm. She she used cannabis in, to help her in her journey um, with with cancer. So when she passed away, I decided to build a cannabis company in her honor. So. In, in her honor, my mission is to normalize cannabis consumption and to empower people to self-prescribe cannabis much as they would any over-the-counter me, uh, medicine like an Advil or a Tylenol. Mm-hmm. So that's my goal. Let, let's expand on that so you can give our, our, our listeners more of a view of, of what is under the Gabby umbrella because you have quite a bit of brands under there. And I think a great place to start with that is on the retail side, since you have such a, a strong background there. So can you talk to us about uh, what the the Mankind dispensaries that you guys have? So we have one uh, dispensary in San Diego. It does three and a half times more um, in sales than the average dispensary in California does. So it's like having three dispensaries. It's, wow. a, it's a very high volume store. Um. So in terms of, of our brand, Mankind, what we're trying to do, again, going back to normalizing cannabis consumption, you know, we believe that the retail store has to be friendly to traditional consumers because that's the current bread and butter, but also be uh, open and accessible to that mainstream consumer, which is the future. And I think we've done that. So we do it by way of making sure that the location that, we've, that we are located in is visible and safe. So a lot of these locations are in, in you know, dark and dank spaces and in, in uh, industrial locations, and they're just not conducive to that soccer mom that we're all trying to get into the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, our decor is warm, um, but not sterile. It's upbeat, but not dark and, and raucous. 
our, our merchandising, I think this is really interesting. A lot of dispensaries um, have their merchandising in in display cases. So and so you can't touch it. You, mm-hmm. you can't look at the package. You, you can only look at it from through the display case. And then you get in line and you go to a counter and then you you tell the bud tender what it is that you that you want to buy. That is not conducive for a mainstream consumer. I remember the first time I went into a Starbucks. This is a long time ago, but I was intimidated because they were using language, you know, grandes, ventes, lattes, mm-hmm. you know, words that I wasn't familiar with. And I just wanted a coffee. So I went up to the counter and I ordered a medium coffee and they said, we don't have medium. And I just got really flustered. So, and that's coffee. Imagine yeah. cannabis. So yeah. you're, you're, you're trying to, you're a mainstream consumer. You want to give it a try. You don't have, you, you might be able to ask for assistance, but you're, you're not really giving an opportunity to spend time looking and feeling and touching and interacting with the product. All of our products are, are out on display, much like you would have in a mainstream retail location. So, oh, a, 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 yeah, so a traditional consumer who knows what they want can come in and just take what they want off the shelf and go and pay for it. A mainstream consumer that might need some assistance and might need more time can actually pick up the package, read the, the, what it says about the, about the, the content, compare it to another package of, of a similar content, you know, just get comfortable with it. And then of course, we've got sales staff that are on the floor and they're, you know, very well educated and available to help. So it's a different approach to, uh, to how we sell. We've also got a huge variety of different products uh, from low dose to high dose, which again, low dose tends to be the product of choice for that mainstream or new consumer, at least when they first get into the market. And our our, um, staff is really well educated. So what we're finding is that that mainstream consumer comes in the door and they're looking for an effect. They rarely come in and say, I want to get high. Yeah. Um, They usually come in and say, you know, I need something for my anxiety. I need something to sleep. I need something to, you know, for more energy, whatever. They're looking for an effect. And so our staff is really educated on all of the products that we sell because they steer that consumer to the the product that they think would be best for them. And then, of course, uh, we have a, um, a, a very rigorous focus on customer service. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's our approach to our dispensaries and how we build brand. Would you say that that is the because 3x is a huge number, I think, especially in a market like like San Diego, like in California, like that, that seems very difficult. So I commend you on that. But I'm wondering, like, is it all just that 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 trust and care that you're putting in with with your consumer? Or are there other trends that, you know, you're translating from your your past retail experience that you're implementing um, into this store, um, that, that really allow you to be successful or any other trends that you think are going to, you know, continue to shape what the future of cannabis retail looks like? Well, I think, you know, we've, we've got to start understanding who the consumer is that we're trying to attract. Like I have gone into some dispensaries that I'm just not comfortable in, and I would consider myself a mainstream consumer. So, you know, the, the traditional consumer is an important consumer. They're the bread and butter of, of the industry right now. But we've got to bring in that mainstream consumer if we're going to grow the industry. So anything that, that caters to that mainstream consumer and makes that mainstream consumer more comfortable, I think is a good thing and, and something that we should be all aware of. Uh, it's think, really about making that consumer feel comfortable. Right. And I think that's such an important, um, I, there, there definitely has been a shift in the way that these um, dispensaries are being designed, um, you know, and they're, um, 
you know, I think consumer expectations are really high. You know, you go, no pun intended. <laughs> um, but like, you know, if you go into, you know, uh, an anthropology or somewhere where you want to like look and feel and touch, I mean, you're spending a decent amount of money, you know, so to your point of, you know, being inviting and having, you know, not having this like snooty attitude of if you don't know what this is, then, you know, a, a grande latte strain, like <laughs> then just get out of here. You know, I think that having that very comforting, open environment um, that fosters education and that fosters, um, you know, like uh, helping people um, versus moving sales, I think is a really um, good place to be. Um, and that there's no question there. That was just something that <laughs> that sprang to my brain. Um, yeah, well, it, and I totally agree with you. And it's important to ensure that we don't make that traditional consumer feel uncomfortable because, you know, we're building the business on the back of, of them. Um, but they tend to be more narrow in what they're looking for. They, they, they generally want recreation, uh, you know, out of their purchase. That They're not looking for something medicinal. Right. And oftentimes they're looking for, you know, the lowest price that would get them the, the, the highest high. Right. Yep. So it, it's in there's way more to the industry than that. For sure. Can you walk us through some of the other um, brands in the portfolio? Yeah, so we've got um, two brands that we have in market in the cannabis space and two brands that we have in market in the CBD space. So our, our premium brand is called Dank Space. And uh, in every instance, the common denominator of, of our products is that they all appeal to a different segment, but they generally all have the common characteristic of, of being excellent value for the cost. So Dank Space is a very high-end, uh, high-quality indica. In most locations, it would sell for $60. We sell it for $45. And we can sell it for $45 and still garner a 70% uh, gross margin because it's it's our own proprietary brands. So we cut out the middleman. Wow. And then we have another brand called Kind Republic, and that's an entry-level brand. So it's decent quality at an amazing price. So by way of example, we offer a package of 20 uh, pre-rolls, which is 20 grams for $65. So by comparison, one gram of flour would sell for 10 to $17. So it's, a, it's just a ridiculously crazy, you know, good price. So it, and we also have concentrates and, and soon-to-be vapes under that Kind Republic line. And under the Dank Space line, we just launched Dank Space in March, and it's already it outsells the next highest uh, selling product by three times. Wow. wow! And that's just one product. That's just what just that's Indica. We're now going to put out a Sativa um, uh, line under Dank Space as well. And then our two CBD lines, Lulu's and Two Rise. Lulu's is our chocolate line, and it's sold in mainstream stores like Whole Foods. And it's also sold online and it's been in market for 15 years. And then Two Rides is our, our tincture and supplements line and it's sold online and it's been in market for six years. And again, both um, products are priced competitively and they use only high quality premium uh, quality products. And all those products are only sold in California right now, correct? Uh, the Lulu's is sold online. So oh, right. Lulu's and tours are sold online. So they will go across the state or sorry, across the United States. And um, Lulu's is also sold in Whole Foods in Arizona. 
Got it. All right. Oh, well, I'm Nick. in Arizona, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I, there's a Whole Foods around the corner. I'll, I'll be heading over there right once we're done with this call. Yeah, please do. <laughs> um, Margo, I do. I am very interested in the fact that you're operating in California because, you, as you mentioned at the top of the call, you're, you're from Canada. Canada is also um, a, an adult use uh, nation. Um, and California is a really competitive market. What was the impetus for wanting to to open up uh, the the store in San Diego? Well, we we bought that store in San Diego. We didn't open it ourselves, but mm-hmm. we focused on California on purpose. Uh, California is the land of opportunity, and eventually everybody's going to have to to move into that space. So it's the fifth largest economy. It's the largest cannabis market in the world. It's it's expected to reach five and a half billion dollars this year, growing by a billion dollars in the next two years to over seven billion dollars by 2024. It's a tastemaker market, which means that what, if something is successful in California, the rest of the of the country is is influenced by that. Mm-hmm. So if you launch a brand in California, it's much easier to launch it in Idaho and, and Montana and Illinois than it is to do the reverse and try to launch it in California. There's only about 850 uh, um, dispensaries in California. So that's one that's two dispensaries for every 100,000 people compared to Washington, which has 10 and Oregon, which has 17 for for every 100,000 people. So there's a huge opportunity for new dispensaries to be opened up. And um, there's no one there's no dominant brand in California. No one owns more than four percent of the market in California. It's an industry that's dominated by inexperienced operators who are struggling. They have chronic out of stocks. They often have insufficient capital to grow or even to maintain inventory levels in some cases. They have no consistency in product offering. They usually, they often will just go with the best deal that they can get, which um, that that hinders consumer loyalty because if you go into a store and you never know what you're going to find, it's hard to, to develop a loyalty either to a brand or to a mm-hmm. store. And then, you know, this is a, a, a double-edged sword, but two-thirds of the cannabis that's sold in California is still sold in the illegal market. And we're slowly seeing as prices come down and as um, more dispensaries open up and it becomes more convenient for consumers who are in the illicit market, we, we're slowly seeing them move to that uh, to the legal market. And so imagine the opportunity when um, when we can move the majority of those consumers out of the illicit market and into the legal market. Uh, and then finally, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, everyone's going to have to come into the state. So, you know, I believe that if we can build something that's meaningful in the state, um, we'll eventually get bought out by a large MSO when they decide to come into the state. So are your growth plans um, only within the state of California? Um, or do you see, like, you know, you said that if you can kind of make it in California, you can make it anywhere. And I feel like, um, you know, the M&A markets are a little cool right now. <laughs> <laughs> to be nice. Um, you know, so is your growth trajectory within the state borders or are you looking to, you know, expand out to, to, you know, Oregon or Washington or other states? We are right now, we're solely focused on California. Uh, you know, we'd have to have a compelling reason to change that focus or, or mm-hmm. dilute it in any way. Um, reason being for all the reasons that I gave you, but also because capital is, is scarce. And every time you, you relocate to another another jurisdiction, you have to build that infrastructure all over again. And I really believe it's hard to build a business if you don't have senior management feet on the ground. 
So, you know, we'd have to duplicate our infrastructure in every state and it would, it would just cost a lot of, of money. I think we're better off taking advantage of the California opportunity because it is a huge opportunity and we can spend our capital more wisely and more effectively. I want to shift gears a little bit and go back to to who you are, Margo, because, you know, you had a very uh, successful career before entering the cannabis space. You were named one of Canada's 100 most powerful women. You've been up for a number of awards like the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur Award. Um, can you talk a little bit more what it means for you to be um, a, a female executive in this space where there's frankly just not a lot of representation um, at that C-suite level? You know, I, I've never seen myself as, as a female anything. You know, I, I tend to be oblivious to, to gender. And I, I, I do believe that it, it's, that it can be more challenging to be a female entrepreneur or a female executive. Um, but I've never really stopped and acknowledged that. You know, they say that that more more capital is raised by men than it is by women. I've never had trouble raising capital. So maybe if I was a man, I'd raise even more capital. You know, I'm, I don't know. But I've, I've been able to raise what I need to raise. So what I see as my strength and, and my superpower is my ability to build teams. And I do think that perhaps that's something that women are better at. And, and that's a huge generalization. But because, you know, we talk about, you know, the male ego versus the female ego. And I do believe that women are more collaborative. So I think perhaps it's easier for women to, to build teams. But that's my superpower is I build really great teams. I love that superpower. Um, how, you know, we, we talk about um, kind of positioning yourself um, perhaps to be bought out um, at some point by a larger MSO. Um, how are you guys competing right now? Um, you know, you're a, this, there's this generation of like, um, you know, cannabis, we're kind of calling it cannabis 2.0 in the United States, which is completely different from cannabis 2.0 in Canada, but you know, kind of this, um, smaller, more operationally focused, um, companies that are a little bit more nimble. Um, you know, so I guess, can you talk about how you compete against the big guys? So, you know, I, I don't believe that we actually do compete against the, the big guys or against the MSOs. I see it as fishing in different ponds. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's the case in, in any industry. When we were uh, consolidating our radio broadcasting business, you know, the easy pickings went to the larger operators and, and we, we kind of did a, we were the third pass. And of course, so what's left for, for us as a smaller operator were the more challenging acquisitions. And I could tell you stories about what I had to do to, to acquire some of those radio stations, but we were able to grow from zero to 50 radio stations before we, we finally sold. In one instance, I had to um, facilitate a, a reconciliation between the two partners who hadn't spoken in 10 years to get them to come to the table to negotiate a deal with us. So it's things like that that the larger uh, players aren't prepared to do that a smaller, more nimble right. player is prepared to do. And then we get rewarded because if we can, you know, we consolidated 50 radio stations that were, you know, from disparate owners and we had to, to overcome all sorts of hurdles, including drinking a lot of bad wine with one owner. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, we, we built it into a consolidated group and then we were, you know, amply rewarded by, a larger broadcaster or a private equity firm that wants to buy it. So you're also part marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you know, how are there, um, I mean, we're in this world where um, we we sort of look at it like um, and how we got into this space was there's a need for professionalized communication in this industry. Like it's still a business. A business is a business, whether you're selling widgets, uh, you're selling a service or you're selling weed or whatever it is. Um, is that um, in your past experience with franchisees, with radio stations, are you finding that the same? This is just another another um, business, or is there anything different that you you like scratch your head about um, with people in the cannabis space? <laughs> I have scratched my head a lot. <laughs> in this you know, the biggest challenge is um, the unsophistication of those who don't have business experience. I mean, there are some that have got very sophisticated business experience, but others that that are just, you know, they love the product and they love the plant and, and they, they saw an opportunity and they took advantage of that opportunity, but they don't really run their operation like a business. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to interact with people like that because you can't anticipate what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily say what they're going to do or mean what they say. So, um, you know, that's been the challenging part, Um, you know, but in terms of this being a business like any other business, I think that's partly true. It's a business like any other business, but people are passionate about it, like they're not passionate about other businesses or Mm -hmm. other products. So I like to think of it as it's a consumer packaged good with a, a connection to the spiritual world. Because people, you know, revere the plant. You know, they, they revere the, the industry. They talk about it almost in, in hushed tones and not because it's illegal, but just because of the reverence that they that they have for the industry and, and the plant and what it can do. So I, I get that. And I think, you know, in order to succeed, you've got to marry that reverence for the plant with the professionalism of, of a, just a regular CBD business. That's interesting. I, I, I always feel like a lot of executives that we've spoken to are talking about like, you know, the, the, the business side of it, pairing it up with the mysticism side of it. Um, but I think that's a really interesting way that you put it. Um, but Margo, I, one question that I, I am interested from, from your perspective is, you know, what do you think is not being discussed enough in the industry right now? Like, I think that it is really important that you, you what you just brought up there about people not understanding um, you know, the, the finer points of the business and stuff. But, you know, if you were to open up the LA times tomorrow and see a a headline about the cannabis industry that, that you think is not being talked about enough on it, is there a certain story or or trend that you would want to see highlighted? You know, I think the biggest story is that despite the high taxes, despite the unfairness of 280E, despite the lack of access to banking, despite the challenges uh, of not being federally uh, legal, despite all those things and all the other challenges that that are out there, cannabis is flourishing. And you wouldn't know that by the the negative sentiment in the market. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know that from the way everybody's stock price has just you know plummeted. You wouldn't know that by the way that the Biden administration is refusing to pass legislation that is favorable to cannabis. You wouldn't know it by all of the extraneous things that are going on. But if you actually stop and look at the business, you know, more and more cannabis companies are are becoming profitable. Uh, the, the market keeps expanding. The sales now have surpassed Starbucks sales in North America. And sales are, are roughly two thirds of the, the um, over the counter medicinal market. So, you know, it's it's still growing. 
it, it's companies are doing reasonably well. There are some that aren't, but there are more and more that are doing better and better. And consumers are, are getting better products, better quality products, uh, better pricing. Uh, the market is stabilizing in, in the, the uh, markets that have been uh, uh, that have been legal for more than just a, you know a year or two. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a success. You know, all you hear is, is the negative things that are going on. You don't hear any of the good stuff. And I think there's a lot of good stuff going on. And I think the opportunity to invest in, in cannabis is right now. I mean, people are just missing this, the chance. I think yeah. that is so refreshing. To hear. <laughs> I know. I we, we Ann and I hear that all the time. It's just like you know, it's a down market. It's tough times and all stuff like that. But you're absolutely right. It is flourishing right now. Um, yeah, more so- legal cannabis is sold today than ever before. Right? Like that's in and of itself an amazing statistic. And the fact that you know these companies and their and their um, market caps are where they are and all of that stuff um, is, is really disheartening, but I agree. Thank you for that positive perspective. <laughs> it was wonderfully refreshing. Margo, we're, we're, we're near in time and we're really appreciative of you, you joining us today. We're right at about that halfway point of the year in 2022. So I wanted to, to hear from you. What should people be looking out for from Gabby for the, the rest of this year? Well, you know, we, we basically have spent the last year really building the foundation of who we are and, and really identifying the strategy that we want to follow. So we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to streamline the operations that we, we currently have, really become uh, operationally efficient, make sure we have the right people in the right positions and the right team in place. So, you know, that's just running a, a good business. And then, you know, we're interested in, in expanding the, our retail footprint. So we are in discussions now with um, some dispensary owners. And the, the ones that we're talking to like what we're doing, like our story, want to become a part of, of the Gabby story. And uh, hopefully they will before the end of the year. Yeah, you got to let me know if a mankind's going to open up here in Phoenix. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's, if we stay true to our focus, it's not going to for a little while. All right, fair enough. <laughs> But if you ever come to California, we'll be happy to host you. Oh, I've been dying for a reason to go to San Diego. So I'll I'll see you soon. (laughs) Perfect. Just give me, send me a text and I'm there. Will do. Margo, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Um, we will have um, all of the links to uh, to Gabby uh, and to the ticker. We'll have um, all of that in our show notes. So um, thank you again. We really, really appreciated your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Margot McAuliffe, uh, CEO and founder of Gabby Inc. for joining us here today on The Green Rush. As always, you can uh, chat with Ann and I by emailing the Green Rush at greenrush at kcsa.com. Follow us on Twitter at the, green, at the underscore Green Rush. Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Uh, and make sure you are subscribing to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take. Cannabis! Cannabis!